Welcome to episode 219 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, UW Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have as our featured guest, Grammy nominee and inductee into the New York City Blues Hall of Fame, musical artist extraordinaire, Clarence Spady. We have a great conversation with Mr. Spady about being an artist, about music as a catharsis, his early years, some difficult times, how he got through, and some new projects on the horizon, and many other really, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty deep conversation. He's a cool cat. I think you'll enjoy it. Clarence Spady on today's program. We also have another wonderful essay written and read by Dr. Michael Pavise a.k.a. Uncle Cesare, specifically for this episode of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. We also have an essay by yours truly titled Today We Change. We have a poem as well titled Sleigh Riding on Coal. And as is always the case, we surround this offering with several great tunes. Thanks for being with us. Let's get to it. Episode 219 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Little boxes on the hillside Little boxes made of ticky-tacky Little boxes on the hillside Little boxes all the same There's a pink one and a green one And a blue one and a yellow one And they're all made out of ticky-tacky And they all look just the same And the people in the houses All went to the university Where they were put in boxes And they came out all the same And there's doctors and lawyers And business executives And they're all made out of ticky-tacky And they all look just the same And they all play on the golf course And drink their martinis dry And they all have pretty children And the children go to school And the children go to summer camp And then to the university Where they are put in boxes And they come out all the same And the boys go into business And marry and raise a family in boxes Made of ticky-tacky And they all look just the same There's a pink one and a green one And a blue one and a yellow one And they're all made out of ticky-tacky And they all look just the same Today we change. Can my soft body sustain my hard ways as I lavish and trudge through these days 
Why do we have such low self-regard? Why do we choose marketed consumer goods and programs over our own instincts and the natural sense of life on this planet, around us infinite, within us infinite, the two as one inside many other dimensions, I presume, infinite, inside infinite, wrapped again in a dynamism more infinite still. Yet we give up the beautiful power for finite, limiting realms of existence, herded as our livestock, contextualizing our worlds in oppressive, dualistic, zero-sum stories of earlier days in our species' evolution. How can we free ourselves from these deep, deep-rooted and interwoven ways of these days from those so long ago in a darker past so that we might more so see and feel the sunlight of life at last. It's not a problem for the crowd 
Spady. Speaking. Yes, sir. It's nice to have you on Troubadours hey. and Rock on Tours. Oh, is this Larry? Yeah. Larry, got you, man. Yeah, I'm psyched. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> oh, I'm honored, sir. Musical artist extraordinaire Clarence Spady on the program this week. And, uh, you know, I was trying to think about how to classify the style of music you play, and I didn't want to be so presumptuous, so I'm going to give you that. You know, how, how would you classify your style? I don't know. You know, um, it's a little bluesy. It's a little, I, I like rock. I don't even have a description for what we play. I basically just call it magical because no matter how many times we rehearse <laughs> and try and put a title on it, it never comes out that way anyway. <laughs> it's, 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 it's soulful. Yeah. Whatever we play, we just try and put our heart and soul into it. So let's call it heart and soul music. <laughs> I like that heart and soul music, and and you've been playing it for a good number of years. You and I are about the same age. You know, I'm fifty. I think. Yeah, I'm fifty-five. Yeah, we're about the same age. I remember uh, sitting at Andy Gavin's watching you play when I was probably about. I just look at Andy Gavin's in trouble when I was like 19, you know, uh, sitting there okay. and, and watching you play uh, a set on a, on a weekday and being blown away. And, uh, you, you know, you just keep getting better and better as hard as that is to imagine. Um, and you're, you're nationally recognized and respected as a musician. 
and uh, I know there's a lot to to talk about. Uh, you know, there you're from Scranton, Pennsylvania, as am I, um, and uh, you know you hear a certain version of uh, your fellow citizens in a city that uh, maybe sometimes is mythology, not always uh, true. Maybe a little fiction involved. So I want to get something straight and also just celebrate all the art you've created over the years and see what you're doing for the next 30 or so years. Uh, so let's get to it. Um, hopefully, hopefully 30, yeah, 30 plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I'd be happy with that too. Um, what, what about the early, uh, the early years? Can you give us a sense of how you were drawn to music? Yeah, that was relatively pretty easy because uh, my family, we listened to music all the time. My mother, uh, she wasn't playing like Mahalia Jackson or the Five Blind Boys from Alabama. There was always something on the um, phonograph there. And when my dad listening to blues or uh, early Jimmy Smith, you know, those organ trios. So there was always something going on around the house there. And uh, just being uh, caught up with the church, I, I got into gospel at an early age because it was uh, mandatory. We all went to church on Sunday, and if we go, we had to participate. So I joined the choir <laughs> and ended up playing for the choir. And uh, with my mother's gospel roots and my dad's blues roots, that was a good foundation to begin Uh a musical segue that I knew at an early age that I didn't want to punch a clock because I watched my dad get up at four o'clock every morning to go up to the uh, depot at Toby Hanna to prepare for work. And I was like, that's not going to be me. Yeah. I definitely don't want to do that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I didn't want to wake up that early to go to work. And I said, you know, um, if, if this is going to be the outlet, well then I am just going to just sit here and, learn these scales, learn these chords, and this is what I want to do. And, and did, you, did you get uh, much support from your family when you, when you shared with them that choice, being a, an artist? I had more support than I could handle because, in essence, I was just living my dad's dream because he played guitar as a hobby. And to see me excel in it, you know, he was totally supportive. And my mother, she was, oh my God, there aren't enough adjectives to uh, describe how supportive she was. I remember your dad at shows for years. Just about every show I'd ever attend uh, in town, I'd see him there. Yeah, you know, my mother passed in uh, 91, May 28, 1991. And um, I ended up going down to Boscoff and I got a big tourist there suitcase and I took my dad on tour with me for the next 10 years no matter where I went he was with me and that had to be one of the times that you've seen him with me yeah <laughs> yeah 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 he seemed he seemed very proud and happy and in the, in the moment dancing and you know enjoying your music I, I'll tell you what when I get 82 I want to do and be and have the spirit that he had <laughs> yeah that sounds awesome um, so your, your early musical influences, you mentioned blues, you mentioned gospel, and, and I also note 
you know, you, you do some great uh, renditions of songs by artists like Prince, uh, Bill Withers. I hear all, you know, all kinds of styles coming out of you. Stevie Wonder, uh, too, to name so many. So it seems, you know, you're you're uh, influenced by a wide array of, of American well, artists. You know, I was actually born in New Jersey, and we moved here. I was um, going to elementary school when we moved here. But to um, go where you're going with this here, I said blues because of my dad listening to it and gospel because of my mother listening to it. And that was like the foundation. Uh, growing up here in Scranton, that also opened up new horizons for me. Uh, because uh, I was exposed to rock. I was exposed to country. And don't forget, back in the 60s, in the 60s, they didn't have a black radio station here, let alone they didn't even really have a black population here. So, hmm. um, you know, coming from WBLS and WRVR to uh, WARM <laughs> was a big uh, culture shock musically. Jersey you know, we, to Scranton, you, you yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. You don't have WABC, you don't have WBLS, where you're going to hear your Sly and the Family Stone, James Brown. But then I come up here, and now I'm listening to the Beatles and Zeppelin. And I was like, wow, that's cool, too. Because I never had a barrier with music. If it sounded good, and, and it, it just had that thing to it. It was just that magical thing that kind of made your shoulders move or you pat your foot. I uh, gravitated towards it, and I wanted to learn that. And so I think with everything that's out here musically today, it's all rooted from the blues, the gospel, send because when you listen to Top 40 today on the radio, it's all got like an R&B, bluesy, or someone's got that gravelly gospel sound to their voice, or you, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like a blues, yeah. it's like a blues root, a blues root. Let's just use blues and keep it simple. And everything is rooted from that there, so... I don't have like a musical preference because I like it all. If it feels good, I want to play it. And I should mention, I mean, you're not a cover artist. I mean, you play other people's music because I suppose you enjoy their compositions and you want to share your own interpretation, but you have many, many, many originals. Let's talk about the creative process for you. How do you go about writing your own stuff? Do the lyrics come first? Do the, the, the melodies come first? For example, uh, you know, it's it's sometimes the music comes first, sometimes the lyrics come first, just like you're saying. Uh, sometimes I could be uh, some of my best compositions came from dark periods of my life. You know, whether it was a, a breakup, whether it was uh, something, an issue that I had to deal with in life that I didn't want to share with anyone, even though they already knew. <laughs> <laughs> but my catharsis was the music end of it and writing about it. That was like my personal diary, my personal journal where I could lament musically. That makes sense. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, take picture of love. Um, you know, it's about a breakup and, uh, you know, broken promises, uh, you know, uh, oh man, this is great. Uh, uh, and then here comes the dark side. And then that's when the wall starts tumbling down. Uh, 
um, you know, the, the breakup comes and here comes the dinosaur tears and, and it's too late for that, you know? <laughs> so it was a thing I had to get through. And music uh, did that. Nature did. Yeah, music, music was my catharsis to get through that. Because a lot of times, you know, just being a man, I don't want to myself and feel vulnerable and say I'm hurt or uh, I need help. I, I, I didn't do that. So my way of reaching out for that was to do it musically. And like Take Nature of the Beast, Take Nature of the Beast. We were a Grammy nominee with that. Great album. And yeah, and um, that was uh, with a, a substance abuse problem that I had, you know, that where I didn't want to deal with things in life, <clears throat> I would drink and party, only to wake up the next day and have to deal with the same thing that I tried to suppress. I, you know, when you talk about how you you use music as a catharsis and, and you reach deep down to deal with you know the human condition when you're on stage i think that's one of the reasons so many people enjoy seeing you live i i love listening to your uh produced studio pieces they're they're wonderful high level production high level material and i think there are thousands of people who would agree with me um thank you oh my pleasure sir to say that to you uh but seeing you live there's something there there's a verve there there, you know, and I think everybody that can connect, because you you're you're not just going through uh, a canned set of material just to get through. You're the 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 night. You're you're obviously trying to express, and, and I don't know if intentionally you're trying to connect, but you certainly connect with the audience. That's, I mean, you're an impresario as a as a musician, but besides that, there's a soulfulness that really does resonate in a room when you perform. And I think people appreciate it. You know, we, as a team, when we're on stage, you know, many times I have written out uh, a, a set list. And it's like, well, we're going to go by this here, you know, one through 15. And then you look out there and you peruse the audience and you look at people and I'm trying to pick up on their emotion. Sometimes we won't even do one song from that set list because now it's time to connect with them, that energy that's in the room. And if you keep that open mind and just find that Zen moment to where you can feel what they're trying to say, well, then we can reciprocate and we're, we're going to have a good time tonight. And that is the uh, magic of getting up on stage and, like you said, interacting with the people, interacting with their emotions, uh, feeling them, because we want you to feel us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And your band it must be really talented, because I, I often note, you know, you turn around, you look at them, you communicate with them, and bam, they're right there with you in a minute, in a second. Instantaneously, you know, and again, that's that cosmic connection as a team, when we're on stage, you know, um, it's not no one person doing it. Because if that's the case, well, then I would get up there like James Taylor and I wouldn't need any accompaniment, you know. But when there's four or five guys up there, we're going to make this work. We don't have a job to do. We're all in the same spirit. Let's flow. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we do. We try and connect. Um, we do rehearse um, again. 
we could rehearse till we're blue in the face. Sometimes the arrangements just don't come out like we've rehearsed for two hours. But we just have that that mutual connection. That that, that there's something energized that we could feel. That it just keeps us close. It keeps us close, and we know pretty much when to and when not to. What a great connection to be able to have with with other individuals, right? That's a that's a, that's a blessing. Oh, it's it, it it is a blessing. Yeah. Now, um, we're talking to Clarence Spady, musical extraordinaire, here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, talking about some influences, how he got to music and uh, the creative process, cosmic connections, music as a catharsis. And now I'm going to go into something else that we kind of alluded to a little earlier. Some difficult times, I'll call it that. You have, okay. We've all had some difficult times, but yours have been so, somewhat public over the years. You know, in your hometown newspaper, you know, article on the front page about this or that. Do you want to address some of those difficult times so that people can get a better sense of how you think they went or what they were about and maybe even help some folks deal with their own? Well, you know, like I said earlier, I've struggled with certain things. Um, I was never uh, the type of person where I wanted to put myself in a vulnerable position. I didn't want anyone to think I was weak because my dad uh, was a very strong man. He was military. So, you know, with growing up with those attitudes and the morale of the military, it's like a man is supposed to be a man. You stand up on your own feet and you walk through this. Well, some of the things that I've researched were too big to walk through and I needed help. And I didn't know how to ask for it. And uh, like I said, I use music as an out, uh, as an escape, as a, a lamenting tool. But um, sometimes that wasn't the help that I was needing because uh, it went beyond that, especially with the drinking and the partying, which also led to, um, you know, an arrest for uh, simple possession or... Uh, I never got a DUI, but it was always like simple possession of this, simple possession of that, um, which sometimes it created a jail time. It wasn't no long stint, but it was enough to open my eyes up and make me aware that this is the wrong avenue to go. This is the wrong avenue to go. And no, the media did not make it any secret. And something that I thought was a secret wasn't a secret because people already knew that there was something off filter with me. Um, I'll tell you one thing about the media. They were very quick to address that, but they weren't quick to address the fact that, you know, I was inducted into the Bruce Hall of Fame and I alluded to them that that was taking place and I didn't get any response from them. Uh, they didn't address the fact that I was a two-time WC Handy nominee, and I sent them that information as well, but they didn't get back to me. Uh, it wasn't grimy or it wasn't dirty enough for them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that's unfortunate because we should embrace those aspects of, you know, someone who... Who's, if you're going to embrace and uh, and, sh and shine a light on someone from your your own town, your own village, it should be, 
you know, also the good things, especially the good things. I was very impressed when I, I heard about the Blues Hall of Fame. I think, was that ceremony at Kenny's Castaways in the Village? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that was, uh, and you know, Roger Earl was there from uh, Fog Hat, uh, Joe Lewis Walker. Um, I, I'm just trying to reflect back on who all else was there. There was a few other people that uh, Kevin Moe was supposed to come there because he was playing in town that night. But, you know, there's like so many things that <clears throat> I've achieved in my career that also haven't been mentioned. Like my dossier of people that I have performed with or worked with closely on stage and off, that it's not something that I'll put on Facebook or social media to, you know, to toot my own horn. That's part of my, that mystique you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I share I share that with people that I let into my world in that essence there. <clears throat> well, It's not something I've, I'm sorry. No, 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 I was going to say... You got me curious. Who are some of the people that you've you've played with? <laughs> Stevie Wonder, Clapton, Bonnie Ray, George Benson, Mike Clark. You know, just to name a few. Yeah, I, I, uh, that is that's an do, impressive do, few. Do you know, like, I, 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 yeah, that's just to name a few. And I, those are like the toppers right there. You know, like, and and it's. There's a couple of the people I just named that I could pick up and call and say, "Hey, how you doing?" Just wanted to check in and say hi. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. And and it's not um, something that you know. I, I let people surmise and draw their own conclusions with everything. But people that know me and people that uh, I feel that I can confide in and I can be close with, I share those memorable things with i open up my photo album and let them see photos of things that i just mentioned well why the modesty let them see. why do you why the modesty do you think why, why aren't you sharing all, i mean th those are pretty impressive credentials uh given especially some of the the dirt that <clears throat> people know about you why why are you so modest <laughs> about the good stuff uh you know what i it's very I'm honored to be in the recognition and in the likes of people like that there. And if a person is going to like me because of who I've been around or what I've been exposed to, I don't need that in my world anyway. <laughs> well said. Well said. I like that. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I like that. That's integrity. It sounds like to me. Um, so let me, let me ask you, um, how did you get through those difficult times then? I mean, now I think it's pretty clear. I mean, we all, I have difficult times too, and I'm struggling with them. It's a daily thing. But I think there's a, been a consistent number of years where you seem to be, you know, generally speaking, in a, in a good spot. How, you, how do you work to get through the difficult times? How did you work to get through the difficult times? Well, there are different programs that people can, and fellowships that you can join. Um, to help you through turbulent times. That's if you really want the assistance and the help. But I, that's one way for me. I think another way was, like I mentioned earlier, I alluded that it was a, a prerequisite when you grew up in my household. We went to church. So I've always had a spiritual base. Whether I chose to use it and keep it as a part of me, 
or sometimes I put it on the shelf and said, well, I can do this and I'll come back to you when I need you or when I falter again and I need some assistance. Well, that was one of the things that I've rekindled in my life. And that's my spiritual base because it's really even the musical, even the music is spiritual and my living I try and make it spiritual. I'm not going to pontificate this and say like, hey, I'm St. Saint, Saint Jude or St. Anthony or anything. No, but I do have a moral-based structure where I do believe that when you do good, good will follow you. And if you just can reach out to someone, because many people have reached out to me, and I do not falter to reach out to another person. And one way to do that is to uh, find my Zen moments and just stay in connection with my higher power. Oh, I like it. Um, now, here, this is a question that I ask myself all the time, and I'm going to ask you too. I mean, you're you're a cre- creative guy. You're soulful. You're deep. And I'm wondering, you know, the struggles that we talk about, these things that you, yeah. you need to go to music to help find a, find a peace or to, to, for a catharsis. What are, what are these things? What are these, what can you, could you name them in any way, shape or form the, that the root of these struggles? You know, I really couldn't, I was just always the type of person where if I saw the crowd going to the right, I wanted to take a left. And a lot of times the struggles that I presented to myself, they weren't struggles until I made them struggles, until <laughs> I explored something that was beyond what I could handle. Um, I'm not diagnosed with bipolarism. Um, I, I, I guess I've been depressed before, and that was behind the struggles. But, I mean, as far as, like, any kind of... Um, I, I didn't have a, a turbulent uh, family upbringing. There was never any drama. I mean, just a typical sibling bickering, but, you know, there wasn't any brought any kind of traumatized lifestyle to me. It was just a route that I chose to take. Yeah, I know. I, I, I didn't, it's hard to, to put your finger on it, you know. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I, I really can't, you know, um, I didn't smoke or do anything in high school, you know, and I never was a drinker in high school and I didn't party with the guys. I was athletic and getting out into the world. I got married at a young age, 19. That's young. And yeah, I got married at 19 and later on that year, I went to New York and I auditioned for a touch of class and there was 119 guitar players. I got the job. Wow. I went on I went on tour six months later that year, and I guess that was the onset of me making a hasty decision because I realized there's no way I should be married right now. There's no way because I was really just starting to travel the country, and I was seeing what was out there, and I was like, "Wow, I got this ring on my finger! Oh my God!" You know? Yeah, you're just a kid. <laughs> Yeah, I was a kid. I didn't even know who I was, let alone trying to be somebody's husband. So in a way, <laughs> being young and having this sort of uh, bit of success and, and having all these uh, opportunities and all this uh, experience, all these experiences, maybe that 
that was a bit much for someone young in a way. Yeah, I, I, I bit off a lot at that moment, which also was the introduction to briefly starting to party a little bit. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I was away from home. Um, the energy was like intense. Um, there's women all around, uh, the booze is flying and, and, you know, I was like, wow, whoa, how, how do you, I was making money, more money than, uh, I would have ever thought I could make at 19. <laughs> you know, I'm touring with uh, a touch of class who was like, a, a temptations or four, uh, the four tops, a four piece men's singing group out of North New Jersey. And uh, it was overwhelming. Yeah, it, it sounded it sounds kind of like fun, but definitely overwhelming too. And well, that gets me to touring. To touring, you know, I've heard stories that when you go to New York City, I know you've been all over the country. Uh, I don't know if you've been to Europe and, as well. Uh, I've been to twenty two countries, Larry. Twenty two countries touring your own yeah. touring uh, for your own your own uh, work, your own CDs, trying to on my own CDs and just touring with my act with other acts. Um, that um that's what I was the behind the scene things that I do you know that I never pull that horn and toot my own horn <laughs> yeah as a, as a, like a, a, a support player or a studio <laughs> yeah camp. right yeah, yeah exactly now, mm-hmm. now New York City has been good to you uh, and you've been good to New York City I guess you could say I, I hear stories about when you play in New York City you get some famous people who who come out to see you are those stories true oh my God uh, it wouldn't be uh impossible i mean you know there have been nights that i've been playing there and glenn close was sitting like two feet away from the stage like right on my side of the stage mill streep was there um ace fraley from kiss was there uh, reuben wilson has been there uh steven seagal you know he's a blues guitarist he's been there yeah i mean so like when i see i have pictures of all these things of uh that i'm talking about and um it's amazing. Or not only that, you know, New York is like the entertainment uh, melting pot of the world. Yeah. So you could be sitting at um, a little restaurant and anybody, uh, you know, Lady Gaga would come in and sit down next to you, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those places. But Terra Blues Room is the only authentic blues club in New York where you get Delta Chicago Blues, seven nights a week, two shows a night. And that's where you play mostly? 360. Yes, that's my, that is my foundation right now. And like you said, they have treated me very well. Uh, it's a 19-year relationship with them. Wow. It's not because, then, not, yeah. not be, just because of your good looks. You got It's because you got the chops, I suppose, right? Well, you know... <laughs> I worked hard at it. When I first went out to New York, I was uh, called the miner's son. <laughs> like the coal miner's daughter, here comes the miner's son. Of course. You know? So, yeah. And um, after I plugged in, I got everybody's respect from that point on. Uh, excellent. Excellent. <laughs> uh, um, well, we, we only have a couple more minutes, Clarence Spady. I just want to give um, you an opportunity. This has been a great conversation, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I really, I am so honored that you asked me to do this. Oh, come on. It's, it's my honor, sir. Really? Um, let, uh, let, me, let me ask you this. What do you think, 
Well, no, you know what? I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to to share some information where people might be able to uh, get some of your work or see you out, and then I'll ask you the last question. We'll close on that last question. So, do you have like a, a website or a Facebook page or any any sort of social media information where people could uh, track you down and find some of your work? Yes, I do have a Facebook page. It's called the Clarence Spady Band uh, page, and I post all my dates on there. And um, actually, I have a team that helps me because I am not tech savvy on the computer. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a great team that will make sure my dates get posted and put up a picture and then give you a link to the venue that we're playing and where you can, you know, peruse the venue. I also have a, um, a website, ClarenceBadyBand.com where you can go and my uh, whole schedule is on there, upcoming shows, upcoming major events, tours, et cetera, et cetera. New, new CD will be out this year. Oh, yeah? What's it called? Uh, you know what? We haven't come up with a title for it yet, but we just laid down like 10 tracks last August, and I'm going back in June to finish. Excellent. I look forward to it. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's been long awaited. Is it basically blues or is a mix of styles um you know what i kind of went back to the foundation a, a blues foundation and um i just want to more guitar this time um i and there's a couple tracks where it's just two guitars bass and drums going back to the roots excellent excellent i'm excited now to the question the role in your opinion sir the role of an artist in society what is it the role of an artist in society. Well, for me, I think it would be to try and connect everyone and get everyone in a good energy, in a good space. You know, um, God gave me the gift of music, and it's one of the only gifts uh, that you have to use all five senses. You can use all five senses to experience it. You can taste the music. You definitely can hear it. Sometimes people listen with their eyes so you can see it. You can touch it, especially if you want to go up and touch the instrument. And the waft of a good solo or a good piano player coming off the stage. Mm, it's better than spaghetti sauce cooking. <laughs> 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 I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Clarence. Man. It's a pleasure talking with you, and I look forward to seeing you out soon. Hey, great. Thank you, Harry. And uh, the CD will be out sometime this summer, 2017? Uh, yes, we're going to finish up in June, so we're looking like hopefully by November we can have everything mastered, packaged, and on the shelves. Excellent. Well, have a wonderful weekend. We're coming up on the weekend. And uh, again, Clarence Spady, musical artist extraordinaire here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Ciao, friend. Have a great one. Thanks, Clarence.
Quarter. My parents married on April 20th, 1946. They honeymooned in New York City, and I have a souvenir photo from their dinner at the Latin Quarter nightclub on Broadway and 48th Street. There is my father in his pinstripe, double-breasted suit with a pocket square and patterned tie, the shadow of a pencil-thin mustache on his upper lip. My mother made him shave off the rakish mustache before the wedding. She adored Clark Gable, but apparently didn't want her husband sporting his trademark facial hair. And there's my mother, her long red hair almost Rita Hayworthish, wearing a simple black-and-white dress. I assume it's a black-and-white photo. And shyly smiling for the roving photographer. She was not yet thirty, but according to the timelines of the day and her Irish family. She had been rescued from spinsterhood by the handsome Italian-American soldier she met in Washington, D.C. during the war. It took a world war to get me married, she used to say. In the photo, a bow-tied waiter direct from central casting leans over the table behind the newlyweds, and a matronly figure in a hat heads to her table, trailed by the businessman husband, destined to show up, confused or curmudgeonly, in a New Yorker cartoon. In between my parents' highball glasses stands a little stuffed white lamb, purchased, I imagine, from a gum-cracking cigarette girl with dreams of stardom and a small room at the Barbizon Hotel. The Latin Quarter, owned by Lou Walters, Barbara's father, was a hot spot then, the rival of the Copacabana, renowned for its floor show. The folder for the souvenir photo shows a very French ooh la la couple, a roguish man with, of course, a pencil thin mustache, wearing a beret and insouciantly dangling a cigarette from his mouth, and his saucy mate with red lipstick and a pom pom on her beret. There's also a saying on the folder. So this is Gay Paris. Come on along with me. We're stepping out to see the Latin Quarter. Heady stuff for a couple of coal town denizens. My father was from a mining town about 40 miles away from my mother's. The star-studded entertainment included the stripper and pin-up girl Anne Corio, the comedian Professor Backwards, whose act consisted of saying words backwards, the tap-dancing Slate Brothers, and Corrine and Tito, racy ballroom dancers. My parents surely graced the dance floor themselves, swinging and swaying to Sammy Kay's newest hit, I'm a Big Girl Now, or Johnny Mercer's Personality, which, as it happens, 
my mother always accused herself of lacking. The war had ended only a year ago, so perhaps they drifted on the floor with rubes and sophisticates, out-of-towners and city slickers, to the sad strains of sentimental journey. They left the club and entered into the cool spring New York City night, my mother clutching the lamb in one arm and her new husband in the other. Did they meander down Broadway to Times Square, marveling at the movie palace marquees and huge billboards, passing newsstands with early editions of the many daily rags? Did they stroll too slowly, bumped by a sassy streetwalker from Boise with dashed hopes and a heart of gold, or gambler in a checkered coat on his way to the oldest established permanent floating crap game in New York? Or did they head uptown for a moonlit carriage ride in, New in Central Park? There wasn't time that night for a Broadway show, but they might have caught Born Yesterday, or I Remember Mama, or The Glass Menagerie, or Oklahoma. Maybe they just went back to their mid-budget room at the Roosevelt Hotel. They went home to the coal town that was then still a coal town. For my mother, back to the tiny homestead in which she was raised and survived the Great Depression. For my father, leaving one crazy household for another, a long-suffering mother-in-law, a loud and opinionated sister-in-law, ominously heading for spinsterhood herself, although saved later by my Uncle Phil. A job as a mechanic at the A.M.P. bakery, five children, and a swift and painful death from cancer at 42. Fourteen years of life together. Fourteen years of marriage for my mother and decades of widowhood. Of course, they didn't know the future when, tired and happy, they boarded the bus back to our town. I picture the bus in It Happened One Night, crowded and convivial, with my mother and father holding hands in a middle seat, and a cynical yet warm-hearted reporter and a spoiled yet adventurous heiress on the lamb in the back. Another souvenir, a yellowed anniversary greeting card with a white ribbon circled the 1950s. I love you more than words can say or actions ever show and think about you day by day more often than you know. And on our anniversary, I want to tell you too one thing that I am certain of is always loving you. Signed, Loving Husband Tony. The Y in Tony extended with a flourish. That little lamb is long gone, but the photo, the card, and the love remain. In twilight glow I see Blue eyes cry in rain When we kissed goodbye and part 
I knew we'd never meet again Love is like a dying ember And only memories remain I'll remember Blue eyes crying in the rain on old coal. I remember as a young boy with my siblings and neighborhood friends trying to sleigh ride down the side of the column dumps in my neighborhood. It never really worked very well. You'd always hit pieces of slag too large to go beyond before long. And then when returning home, We'd hear it from our mom for getting all black and wet with the soot and dirty snow. Don't want that for my children. No more coal. A normal hillside covered in grass or a narrow, steep alleyway between homes with chimneys billowing smoke as they sit modest, welcoming and warm.
And there you have it, episode 219 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, the great musical artist Clarence Spady. Thank you for sharing your heart and soul in the conversation and in the music. Also, I'd like to thank great essayist Dr. Michael Pavise for sharing another one with us this week. Also, I'd like to thank these wonderful musical artists. Melvina Reynolds, Clarence Spady, Willie Nelson, Beth Orton, Brantford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. Have a great week, and we'll be talking with you again soon. Take care. <laughs>